I was invited to sing one of my own songs, but I decided that I really needed to... Ali put the bar high, but we need to put it even higher because there is sometimes stuff that happens where you just need to say, God, you are still on the throne. Amen? Yep. And even if your life is mediocre and nothing has happened, it's helpful to remember that God is still on the throne. And I just want to say hi to my mum who snuck in. Hi, Rosie. And all my family members. Love you all. All right. So um, we're just going to sing this. Would you like them to join us? Shall we get everyone to stand? Yeah. Why don't we just stand? You can enjoy this song and join in with us. Oh, my. 
After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Midianites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sire, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is coming against us. That was my issue. The last verse actually says, we do not have this 
We have no power to face this vast army that is coming for us. Verse 12. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you.
It doesn't have a cure yet. These were not a cure, but I had to give myself these every second day from that point on. On the honeymoon, we had two options. I'd use an injector and shoot it in really quick. I'd get lots of bruises or have a different plan. Chris, my brand new husband, we'd be in Florida on a honeymoon, thanks mum and dad, watching a movie and I'd say, Chris, just blow really softly and I've got, it's a tiny needle, it's like a really tiny needle, but I'll put it in so slow and you're gonna blow on the side so slow that I won't even feel the pain. So Chris is on this side nearly passing out. I'm feeling not much pain. Wasn't sustainable, but they were our options. So yes, it was needles on the honeymoon. That's what I thought about in my journey at a wedding. That was valley part one, number one. Getting an incurable disease that killed your grandmother four years my senior, four years my junior now. So it was quite devastating for me. Um, over the 10 years from that point, I resigned my dream job, started learning to rest, try diet things that were hopefully going to be helpful, go to healing conferences, um, and by a leap of faith, these needles, after a couple of years, I took myself off them. I didn't have symptoms for years and years. I thought, you know what? And I actually had an experience where I thought God had healed me. I was able to spin around 16 times. I can't do a forward roll without throwing up. So I felt like God had done something. So I took myself off medication. So I'm putting this down here. Lived symptom free for quite a number of years. But after this maybe 10 year, bit more period, I have to pick them up again. It all came back with a vengeance, um, worse. The neurologist actually said, we're sorry you slipped through the cracks. And when a neurologist apologizes to you, things are pretty serious. We had a conversation and she sort of said, yeah, you're on the top level, level of medication. I said, oh, does that mean if this one doesn't work, there's no backup? So she goes, yeah, kind of. So it was kind of serious. Um, had friends die with MS that weren't too much older than me. It, it was a shocking time, but to be honest, when it came back, that was really my valley. That was when I said, God, I thought you said. That was when I thought, God, I thought I took you at my word. And I'm not just talking I took you at my word, I took myself off generous sickness benefits that probably would have been supporting me till now and the rest of my life. But that was because you can't get paid sickness benefits if you're healed, right? Mm. So there was all those little extra little bits, but I'm just saying, I really stepped out of the boat. And then when it comes crashing down, you go, did God really say? If I can't trust that part of God's word, can I trust God? And that brought up about six months at least of depression. So that's where we call it, my valley number one was the MS relapse and the faith crisis. That was the depression and the difficulty. Now, as I write in my book, there's a different type of courage that's needed when you thought you killed your Goliath. You thought you killed your giant and he comes back from the dead and you have to go at it again. Yeah, when you thought the weapon you used the first time was meant to kill him. So that was kind of the MS relapse for me. Can I read you a little bit about it? It's called My Four Weeks From Hell. So this is a 90 day devotional. Written a bit as a story though, you can binge read it or people have binge read it and then gone back and done day by day, but it's short little vignettes with poems as ad breaks in three chapters. The valley, getting out of the valley, getting on with it. And this is a little poem called Devastating, because I had a friend ask, are you depressed? I said, no, just devastated. I found myself in hospital staring at brain scans I didn't believe. 
and the inability to muster any more courage. Shocked did not seem a drastic enough descriptor for my feelings. So are you depressed? A friend asked. No, not depressed, just devastated. As I said, this relapse plunged me into a crisis of faith. This was my valley. I'm going to try and remember the poem that I wrote, so it's just going to throw up um, behind me, but thrown up up there on the side behind me, but it says, devastated, numb hand. Here we go. Numb hand, faint heart, how we go? Brain scans, trust hard, hope deferred, heart sick, feel alone, gut kicked, need help, facing this. There's not a lot of airtime given to Christians who go through depression, right? I don't even know if it's even biblical that you're allowed to, so I was told, but since then, I've kind of read Lamentations, I've read Ecclesiastes, they kind of were my favourite books during that time. I've read a lot of the Psalms, and I think there is a space for the honesty of depression, because depression really just is, you've lost a lot of hope. So when I went through that relapse, I decided, as the smiling pastor's kid, I wasn't just going to do smiley duty, I was actually going to go to that valley and see if God could pull me out of it. Hopefully we'll hear by the end some good news, I think we will, but that's what it was for me. Killing your giant a second time proved to me that sometimes getting out of a valley takes more than one attempt. So what did I learn in my valley season? And don't worry, I'm going to get to a few more valleys that came later, but this one was the one where I really went through the deep valley and asked God a lot of questions. Um, God and heaven got a lot of inquiries from me during that time. This was when I was questioning what I thought God said, as I said before, who I thought God was, questioning my faith. I even questioned the existence of hope. I don't suggest that when you're in a dark place you do that, but I did that as well. Valleys are actually, I think by definition, the time of great questioning. Would you agree? Yeah, and um, I feel like this is one of the main reasons for my message today, that God's going to begin um, bringing to the surface some of those deep, hidden questions that we've left untouched before him. He actually has one of two answers I've discovered. I'll get to that soon. He has one of two things that he will do. But these unanswered questions that you have, that you haven't heard God's whisper on yet, I want you to not go over that. Don't, don't brush it away. I want you to let those things come to the surface today. I've actually had ones that I'm not sharing today that formed a lot of my disposition in my youth, and it was to do with why I didn't trust God. And God has since, in my 45th year, answered one of those. Great. But I'm not going into that one today. And I realised that some of these answers, we might open the Pandora's box today, and I think God is big enough for it, but he will answer it in his own time. Good. Yeah. So... Valleys you've gone through or are going through. I'd love you to, in your mind, just take a note of maybe yours is, God, where were you when that happened? God, why did that happen? God, how are you good when this bad stuff happened? They were the types of questions that I've asked that I dare to think you might be asking, and that's the kind of girl I am that I would preach on something like that. That's where we're going today. So during this time of great questioning, if I was reading any Bible at all um, during depression, Psalm 77 really came to the fore. Um, the Chosen has actually done a great episode on that since. And I was like, oh, that's my depression verse. But um, it's where airtime were given to, and this is a verse from the Bible, Asaph says, has God, God's unfailing love vanished forever? 
Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? I love that not only did God give place in scripture for this to be there, but it was, yeah, it wasn't just given space. It's there to guide us. It's got God's blessing on it to say you can ask these sorts of questions. And the last time I checked that unfailing love, for it to be unfailing, it can't fail. And for God to be perfect, his unfailing love can't fail or vanish ever. Yet that's the honest position that Asaph was in, and to be honest, that I was in. I couldn't come to church for weeks. I couldn't sing these songs. There might be some of you who might be sitting here with gritted teeth or smiles on, but deep down you have those questions. That was me. Sometimes I call these things places of soul contradiction, where what God promised and what's actually happening is seemingly contradictory. Sometimes it might be the in-between moment, between when you pray for healing and it's still on its way. Let's hope it's that. Sometimes it's you don't have an answer on something yet. But these places of soul contradiction are often the definition of a valley to me. So how did I get out of valley number one, I hear you ask? Well, um, I have written, like I said, a whole chapter called Getting Out of the Valley. There's Getting Out of Valley Part 1, there's Getting Out of Valley Part 2, and there's 25 entries. So I will try to do justice, but from the reading that we were kindly read today, I've got an entry called How, oh well, it's What to Do, which is actually the final verse. What to do when you don't know what to do. They said, God, we don't know what to do. But I'm going to study just Jehoshaphat and how he got out of his crisis. Basically, it can be summarised as how to hold on to your faith when your life falls apart. Is that good? So, let's get into it. One of the main things that helped me out of the valley was that there is value in the valley. Can I just say, though, when someone's going through a valley, can you please not be that person that comes up and says to them, what doesn't kill you makes you? Can you not? say that right then can you not say hey you know it'll get better or just hold on god's got it it is good but there's a time and sometimes you can just cry with them sometimes you can just buy them a chai from hippos anyway some they do thank you for those hippos you just need to get alongside because sometimes you just need to know that god is crying with you that's one of the entries in this first chapter i discovered it's my addendum that, that god is crying oceans with me You know, when you are crying buckets of tears, he's crying oceans. I think the actual verse that's from is when they were grieved, God too was grieved. Hmm. He's heartbroken that your valley happened. He didn't send it, but he has promised to make good of it. So there is value in the valley. There are treasures there you cannot get anywhere else. I think I said to my husband this way, I think I should be jealous of myself that I got this valley. I didn't feel it, but Hmm. I'm... I'm meant to be jealous because there are actually treasures in there that you can't get anywhere else. So let's go to some of these valley escaping quick techniques and then I'll share some of my other valleys and how I got through them. But the valley escaping techniques that I think I did that I probably stole Jehoshaphat. So this is what I learned from him. And if you want to throw this slide out here. So number one, I had to let the valley reaction that I had drive me closer to God. It didn't start there. If you can see in verse 3, it just said there were three nations coming against him. It was a crisis, and he was alarmed. That's all it said. Alarmed. Jehoshaphat went and inquired of the Lord. But alarmed for you or me, might have been for me, it was shocked. 
For me, it was depressed. For you, it might have been overwhelmed. For you, it might have been devastated, grieved for however long you need. It doesn't mean that straight away you need to get straight out of that, but you are allowed to react to your valley. But the posture that you have after you get through your initial reaction is really the defining moment of how your life will turn out. So I did get depressed. I did say, I'm not just going to keep up appearances in this moment. I'm actually going to cry out to God and let the honest response that I feel, the questioning that I'm having, take me to that place. And so, alarmed, shocked, overwhelmed, whatever it is for you, you need to work out another response after that. And that is, will you let that push you further away from God? Or will you allow that to drive you closer to him? Because it said, alarmed, Jehoshaphat inquired of the Lord. He actually proclaimed a fast for everyone to seek God. And it goes further and it says he resolved to stay connected. And I just need to say there was a whole heap of grit and resolve that it required for me to talk to a God that I thought was on the throne when absolute tragedy happens. And we'll get to the next two valleys that happen pretty soon. But yeah, I'd already gone through it. You should have thought I'd learnt, but there were still some underlying things that I didn't know about God yet. Still, I made a resolution that I would get back to church. Do you know what that looked like for me? I'd wear sunglasses. I remember telling a friend I'd go to church. I got to the beginning of it, and then I turned around and said, sorry, I couldn't do it today. Headed home. That wasn't after the depression one. This one was coming, but... Okay, and then the next time I wore the sunglasses, shot through, went up to the mezzanine, sat at the back in the dark on the top floor of my church, which is Hope You See, and sent her a picture when she was sitting downstairs of the same slide that was on the screen as we were in real time, just to prove I'm here, crying up the back. I did a bit of a podcast. Um, Rima invited me to do that, to interview other people who'd gone through valleys, and I shared that moment there. But yeah, I was there, but I wasn't there, if that makes sense. I was keeping up appearances, but inside I was heartbroken, saying, God, how can you be good when everything is falling apart? But I resolved to stay connected, and I had a village, and that's really important because you can have one or two choices. You can numb the pain, you can get distracted, you can spend money and holiday it off, you can game it off, you can use artificial substances like chai lattes or whatever your poison of choice but you can try and numb the pain but it doesn't mean that you've actually resolved to say God where were you when this happened that's what's today's for or you've already done it and you're going to be a carrier of this news to someone else or maybe it's valley number whatever for you today that maybe you haven't brought it to God for but this is what today is about we can choose to be in a community of discontent or we can choose to surround ourselves with a village of people that will include us in their pursuit of God. I encourage you to do the latter. So he was alarmed and that did not discount him from being a Christian. You're allowed to have a, a valley, you're allowed to have a crisis, but then he resolved to stay connected to God. Number two, Jehoshaphat let crisis realign the powers and priorities in his world. Who really held the balance of power and what are our real priorities? Where am I getting that from? Well, Jehoshaphat let the crisis reveal who held the balance of power in this world, and it wasn't him. He quoted in verse 12, we have no power to face this vast army. You know what, I think we can deceive ourselves that we really are okay, and we are in charge of our life, and that's what our society encourages us to do. You be the best you you can, you're at the top of your game. But actually, sometimes when a crisis hits, it really reveals who's on the throne, it's not us. And so he humbled himself to realise 
He doesn't have the balance of power. We have no power to fight this, but what did he say about God? He said, God, you rule all the earth. You, power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. So I think let the crisis bring to the fore who actually, you know, the power balance in your world, and if it's out of balance, put God back on the throne, and don't be afraid that if you feel completely overwhelmed and have no power against this, because God is involved. Um, I let my crisis reveal my lack of power and the overwhelm. But like I said, I had to choose what I would let that do. In the end, I did pick up my Bible again. I did get to church again. Um, it's worth noticing that God is bigger than our crisis. Yeah. That's good to be aware of. Jehoshaphat knew that. Like, I'm talking three nations against one, but I have a different spin on that by the end of where we get to. If I don't get to it, come Three nations against one. It's okay to feel overwhelmed, you're, but your powerless, powerlessness does not diminish God's powerfulness. Mm. Yeah. Good. Hard to remember when you are stuck, armies at you, but you just got to trust God's going to come through. I think you have a valley that this might be similar to a, a bank account that doesn't have the money in it yet, the life partner that may not have arrived yet, the healing that may not have arrived yet, the moments in between. God is bigger than our crisis. Amen? Amen? My final valley escaping technique I learned from Jehoshaphat was, if you cannot see what God is doing, remember what God has done. Yeah, so good. And um, it's really interesting that uh, the prophet that spoke out the next part of 2 Chronicles 20, where it has those priceless verses of, you will not have to fight this battle, God's going to fight it for you. He was a descendant of Asaph. Who wrote Psalm 77? Asaph. You know those big questions I was talking about? You know, has God's mercy failed? Has his unfailing love vanished for all time? Guess what happens straight after that moment that Asaph has those questioning moments? He says, yet this I will call to mind. I will remember what the Lord has done. So right when I was in the middle of my valley and my crisis and heaven seemed like bronze and I couldn't hear... I said, okay, God, I'm going to go back to what you did before, what I know you've done before. Amen? So recall past victories during present challenges. But I got through that valley. Then valley number two hit with barely any notice. And Mama's going to be up on the screen. I didn't check with her that I was going to show this. I didn't know she was coming. She's sneaky like that. But... With not much notice, not too long after that depression and the relapse, two to three months notice from diagnosis to death, and with a race against time, my beautiful dad got his wings and went to heaven, but not with any of our permission, let it be noted. Dad went from over 90 kilo plus man to nearly 45 kilo man within a couple of months. This was the man who taught me to pray for miracles, and he saw them. He was notorious for getting people out of ICU in John Hunter. He was the Presbyterian chaplain up there and he'd do his rounds and he'd get a word from God and he'd pray and then, oh my gosh, they don't need to be in here anymore. They experienced healing, he'd come and tell me he was in his dream job. He took God at his word and he saw it happen time and time again, but not this time. Valleys contain injustices. You probably didn't see it in the verse before that, but. There was just before God, we are powerless against this nation. There was this whole God. Don't you remember when these guys 
we let them through and they just do this as a payback. So there are injustices all throughout balance. And that's what I experienced at this time. Ali said to me when I spoke at um, your wonderful sister's event, thank you if you've done a doubler and come again to hear me. I was very aware that I didn't just want to repeat things. She said, uh, be more honest, Anne-Marie, about the real struggles because we can handle it. So there was a moment when I was on my knees in my lounge room, the song Gyra was playing. I was interviewed re interviewing someone recently on the podcast. She said it's her favourite song. I said it's my hated song. I hate that song. Because that was the song when I was in lockdown, I couldn't see my dad. Dad was disappearing in front of our eyes and I was on my knees listening to the lyrics Gyra, which means provided. God, you are enough. And I was questioning God about how, if he was enough, as the song said, and how if he could heal my dad, like I know he could, why wasn't he? Mm. Is that honest enough, fast enough, is that okay? I've got another one, ready? How do you accept a reality less than what you know is possible for God? Mm. Mm. Is, that, is that okay? Yeah. These are these big questions that we as Christians have to wrestle with. When God's word says this, and you take it and you're believing, but it doesn't happen. That's where I was crying and wrestling. I'm not going to give you my answer yet. It took a few months to begin getting our head above water, dealing with the challenge of losing dad. Buckle in, you're okay, Amy. I promise I'll do this justice. When the unthinkable happened, which many of you remember, valley number three, losing AJ with dad, few months notice, AJ, there was no notice at all. If I was questioning God with dad's loss, what was the point of taking my dad, that man, at that time, God? Well, this questioning started all over again with AJ. It was shock, trauma, this can't be happening. And I am conscious that there are, I'm going to read my notes for a minute. I'm conscious that there are many people in this room who can remember where they were when this news came through, have their own trauma attached. But I'm just going to share briefly what happened in this valley for me. It was a phone call. From the soccer field. From my husband. Valleys sometimes take a time to get through. From my husband. I'm not going to go into the further detail, but on this occasion, people in my direct family have gotten counselling for being there on the night, for being there on the field, my husband included. And there's a few of us who got counselling for not getting there on time. And maybe, just maybe, it wouldn't have made a difference, but when you thought it could have, that's a bit of a kicker. So, that was a pretty traumatic valley. But there's a little bit of a paradox that happened for me around valley number three. Because I'd already been depressed in 2019 by my rehabs. I'd already gone to the depths of the valley. And then with that, we went a bit deeper. But by the time AJ's one happened, I sort of went, oh my gosh, I've been left here with an example like AJ, this joyous, adventurous, hilarious, take life by the throat. Man, now I can't get survivor's guilt. I've got to live, live like him. Do you know how challenging that is? 
one was, I'm going to represent Asia. I'm going to live like he would have wanted me to. Larry can spirit, adventurous, joyful. Now, can I just say, I don't know why my computer does this, but AJ's profile comes up. He didn't just live by the make every moment count, people. He didn't make every day count. Every time I turn my computer on, AJ's face comes up and says, make every second count. Every second. The bar is so high. This man has left us. So I am trying to represent Asia. You can see where this is going. So I have this reality. Okay, guys, I love hearing Leanne's New Zealand adventures because she's representing Asia. She's doing the thing to say, hey, let's do what he said. Take life by the throat. Let's live with the joy knowing God has got our back. But I had one other secret reality going on, and that's what I want to share with you today. It's got to do with these unanswered questions. So this other secret reality that I have hidden far away, and I'll just throw that up, is I had a little secret that I did not actually believe that God could bring good out of absolutely everything. I have this split personality, the not really, but I have these <laughs> I have these two um, realities that often work with me. I've had a bit of an eating disorder, and I think for years and years I didn't realise I was living by the reality of God, I will love you. And if anyone knows me, I'm passionate to the core. I do everything at 110%. Even if it's wrong directions, I'll do them 110%. I'll give my husband wrong directions because I live passionately. I love God passionately, but that other angle of my life during my, my youth was, but I don't trust you, God. And so, there were these two realities going on. In this valley, I was trying to live this joyous, adventurous spirit, but deep down I'm like, but God, you can't really bring good out of everything. Let it be tabled on the secret paradigm that I haven't told you about. And then, the thing was, to add insult to injury, my dad would always live by this Romans 8, 28 verse. Can you help me with it? I know you know it. And we know that in all things, God works together good of those who love him. Sorry, I have to actually quote it properly. The paraphrase is God works for good. You know, God can do bring all things to good, right? But you get the idea. God can bring every situation for good. It didn't mean he sent it for good. It meant he could bring it for good. I didn't believe it on this one. I just packaged that away. God, I'm being adventurous. I'm living like AJ. But I don't really believe that you can bring any good out of this because how is there any good out of this? Some of you might be <clears throat> questioning that. How is there any good out of my valley that I'm in right now? That was my hidden, unanswered question, tucked away. But one day, as is very like God, he brought it up. Do you know what he said to me? Try me. So if you can't bring good out of every situation, he said, try me. So I did the unthinkable. Have you ever tried to psych God out? Like you really think you can psych him out and beat him at something? It's like you think you could arm wrestle God. That day, I'm like, fine, I'll try you. I've got a good one. It came to mind. And um, in a moment, I'm going to get the band to come and play. But I just want to share with you. When God said, try me, I thought, I'm going to be super crafty. I know what he's expecting. He's expecting me to bring the dad situation or the AJ situation. I'm not gonna, and that'll be too fragile anyway, but I'm like, no. I let my brain, and I'm pretty creative, think of the most mundane, smallest, redundant, absolutely useless thing that would come to my mind that surely God couldn't do anything good with that. So I'm like, 
What's something like that? I've got, aha, I've got it. That useless three hour COVID test that I didn't even need to get. Let's do that one. So I just chucked it up to heaven and went, ha ha, bet you can't do anything good with that one. So let me describe that day to you. It was 2021. It was a dumb last minute decision that I made because my daughter had a little sniffly nose. I was like, oh yes, I'll drive her. Fine, Chris, Yumi, let's thumb wrestle it out. Okay, I'll take her. Fine, go and try and find a COVID test. It was 2021. Around Christmas, they were all shutting down. I finally found one. Right me Bennett's green, there's this huge oval right near Hunter Sports High. Yay, it's open, quick, let's get in. We got in, cars chugging through. It's a massive oval, if you can imagine like a snail trail. I got locked in that traffic jam of waiting for a COVID test, three hours. We were barely moving. I was thinking of jumping ship. Do you think you can get out of a gridlock when you're in your, no. Everyone else has decided the day before Christmas they would get a COVID test. So I'm stuck in this stupid three hour line. And when we're creeping up to getting it done, I thought, oh well, may as well get done one for myself, like just to prove I don't have COVID. In that moment, this is kind of the reason that I didn't want mum here today, but now she's here, she's just got to listen. In that moment, my mum rang my auntie to tell me that both my daughter and Elise and I were now not allowed to come to Christmas until our test results came back. How long do you think it took for the test results to come back over Christmas? There's two public holidays in there. And I burst into tears because right then my dumb, stupid decision, and if I could get the band to come play, please, because I'm gonna ask you to think about your dumb, stupid decisions or your valley. In that dumb, little, irrelevant, useless, kind of moment of a three-hour COVID test, I was locked out of seeing my dad for the last time because I wasn't allowed to make him any sicker. Mum had rung, my auntie had rung. My silly decision had meant that I may never see Dad, not only for Christmas, but if my test results didn't come back. Who knew? But my brother called, because after getting heartbroken, this is what God reminded me of, you know, that dumb little irrelevant detail. My brother actually called and God whispered to remind me of that. And he said, without your dumb, unnecessary COVID test, you may never have recognised your brother, Agent, fighting. Agent and I went to youth group. I dated all his friends, which he hated. We weren't that close. But in the remaining years, we got close. That time, because of my dumb, stupid COVID test, Angel Grant said, I overrode, Mum. You're coming. Come and get me sick enough. That was the last Christmas I saw AJ ever. I said, Touche. God, I lost it right there. I'd said to him, You can't, Romans 8 28, this one, God. He said, Watch me. I chose this song today, God, you reign above it all, because I actually believe now, in my older age, as Ali said, that God can take all of our heartache and all of our unanswered questions, and he can either answer them or he can give us this thing called a peace that passes understanding, that actually passes understanding, where we don't need the answer yet. Can I ask you all to stand with me, please?
As the band plays quietly, I'd like to ask you, what unanswered question comes to mind for you? About God, where were you when that happened? Or how are you good if this has occurred in my life or to one of my family members that maybe you have been praying for? Would you allow me, as we, we sing, just to pray for you and to say, God, I want to invite you into this valley, into this moment, because I know you can do what you have promised. You can cause all things to work together for our good, even our messiness, even our really small, mundane, completely irrelevant things that aren't that irrelevant when we think about it. With every eyes closed, just like to make your heart available to God. There's a beautiful phrase that God revealed to me that when we run out of hope, we can borrow it from friends. So right now, as my dad did for me when he said, God can make all things work together for good and I might not agreed with him at the time. I want to be that person for you. And if you need that right now, if there's a thing that's come to mind for you, I want you to be brave. And I just love you to just raise your hand and say, yes, include me in that prayer. I've got something that I need heaven's perspective on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've seen that. Great. Is there anyone that says, God, this is such a mess and I don't know how you could bring good out of it, but I'm willing to ask you. Would you just raise your hand as a sign where God goes, yep, I'm coming. Thank you. Thank you very much. And there's another prayer that I'd like to pray for people too. Maybe you've already had your resolution in that. You've already had God speak on that thing that you found hard. And you've realised you need to be now the carrier of this message to someone else who hasn't got that hope yet. If you'd like to pray for the bravery to be that person in your world, to share this, God can bring beauty out of even this mess to someone in your world, whether it's someone you know yet or in the future. I just want to pray for you. I want to pray that you would have the courage to say, yep, God, I want to be the bearer of that message. I want the guts, no matter how messy this can be, to pray for that. Thank you. All right, I'm just going to pray now. Father God, you take the messes of our life, the valleys of our life, and you meet us in them. You somehow bring beauty out of our pain. You give us the oil of joy for our mourning, beauty from our ashes. And God, sometimes you give a peace that passes understanding. You've seen those hearts, those people who've said, God, yep, I'm bringing you my mess today. That unanswered question that I was too scared to even let you touch. And I invite you in, God, with them to say, God, would you do your wondrous work of your miracle way, just the way you do it, God, where we can't even imagine how you could turn something this small or this big into our good, but you do. So thank you, God, that you have heard that invitation, that you've been waiting for their permission, and that you would begin to get to work to show them where you were on that day or in that moment, how you had never left them. As that Footprints poem was saying, how you carried them. Thank you, Lord God, that you've promised to always be with us and I pray that you would give them your peace or maybe unveil some of the mystery in Jesus' name. And I want to pray now for those who want to be the torchbearers, God, those who say, God, you have done that for me in my valley again and again. Would you give them the courage now, God, to go and speak this word 
to their hurting world that doesn't know how God can bring beauty out of the messes around them. Would you give them that word that sustains the weary? I just thank you, Lord, that you're going to step into that and be that torchbearer with them. Thank you, God, that though we may not have anything going on right now, if we're breathing, there may be something that will happen in the future where there's another valley knocking on our door. We just pray that we would remember, as Jehoshaphat did, to inquire of you and to involve you because you have never left us. And I want to particularly pray for any one of those who, like me, could barely set foot in a church where the heartbreak is even, they can't even respond today, they can't even let that be brought up. God, I want to pray for those dark places as well, that you would keep that safe and you would let those people know that they're not going there with you until they're ready. But if they are, you can carry them through that memory or that circumstance. I want to thank you, God, that you do reign above it all. And we just lift you up and thank you that there is no God like you. Who would go into such messes like those that occur in our lives and that would hang on the cross to bear the grief and the pain of it so that we don't have to face it alone? So we just thank you for this. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, I'm just going to camp out up here. If there's anyone that wants to come and have some of that one-on-one -on -one prayer.